0: All righty, Matthew chapter twenty-six. Matthew twenty-six. Our pastor is not here today. Pastor Jake is preaching. Um, he's been traveling this week, several different meetings. Uh, so be praying for him. Always thankful for the opportunity to preach. Thankful to uh, that he allows me to do that, and thankful that he is needed elsewhere at times. And uh, that's a it's a good sign of a pastor who's. Asked to be somewhere else because the Lord is using him, and he has been this week. I've heard awesome reports. People saved in meetings this week. I think he's in Florida today, so be praying for him, and uh, we're going to be out of the book of Luke today. We're going to jump into it a little bit. We're kind of be looking at just a gospel story, um, so we're going to be jumping through kind of several different gospels, but um, out of the book of Luke primarily, just kind of taking a break from that. We'll be back in that next week, I'm sure. Um, but today a little bit different. If I were to ask you guys, if I were to pull the room, I'm not going to. I thought about doing like a, ask you guys, like ask you guys a question, see, hear your response. I don't think I'm going to do that because I don't want you guys to ruin my illustration. So I'd rather just do my own thing. Because um, every time I do that, I feel like you guys like know, someone read my notes or something. So I was like, if I were to, um, if I were to pull, the, or actually it's just, I'm not as smart as I think I am. If I were to pull the room and ask you guys, um, what is your favorite attribute of, of God, what is your favorite attribute of God? Not in attribute, because uh, we all know several different attributes. You know, He's omnipotent. He, om, omnipo, uh, omnipotent, omnipotent. Same word. Um, omniscient. All these things we could say. All these things. But what is your favorite attribute? I want you guys to think about. It. What is my personal? favorite attribute of God. I think we'd hear a lot of different things, that there'd be a, a, a broad spectrum of answers. Um, the truth is God is a very, he's got a lot of different attributes, a lot of different great attributes, and there's many we could choose from. I don't think there's a right, or I don't think there's a wrong answer, but I think um, we would fall on several. I think my, I was thinking about this myself in, in the study this week, I was thinking my favorite would probably be his patience because, man, I use a lot of it. I really like that God is patient. Um, God is kind. Uh, there's all these different things that, that we say that we know that God is, that the, that the Word of God teaches um, that God is. And that's great. That is great. Um, I think the culture or cultural Christianity has certainly settled on their favorite attribute of God. Um, this is the one that they, they like to yell, they like to um, teach, preach, whatever it is. They love the fact, they love the fact that God is love. They love that. Which is true, right? God is love. First John 4, 8 clearly teaches. God is love. I love the fact that God is love. I love the fact that God taught us to love, showed us love so that we could love. God is love. They love that. They love that. They love, um, if you go to a a lot of modern churches, a lot of um, kind of culturally normed churches, they're going to preach. You're going to hear the fact that God is love, and He is love. But most of the time when we talk about, when we echo on the fact um, that God is love, it's very rarely on the, on the fact that we're talking about God is love in the sense of the biblical God is love and the, the things that God loves. Usually it's more of a God is love so I can love whatever I want to love. And it kind of, from anything, from, from people to stuff, to whatever it is, it's just God is love. I can love, uh, if you like watch the, these uh, these He Gets Us commercials on the Super Bowl. If you guys saw the, all these commercials, um, that, that's a, they're a big proponent of this. God is love. God is love. So basically, God loves you, and he does. Of course, right? The Bible teaches us. Um, but he loves you wherever you are, and he doesn't. He it kind of just God is love. He just loves you. It's easy. It's easy. It's just God is love. Um, in fact, it... If we hear it so much, you'd think you'd find it in the Bible, like every other verse, that, that God is love. If you study, the fact that God is love is actually only mentioned twice in the Bible. The fact that God is love. It's only mentioned twice, both in 1 John 4. And um, hey, once is enough, right? Once is enough. I'm not saying that God is not love. God is love. God is love. Um, and the world has, they love the fact that God is love. As much as they have accepted the fact, um, that God is love, they've kind of decided to reject another attribute of God. They've really taken on the fact that God is love, and they've kind of rejected the fact that God is holy. God is holy. And uh, when we hear holy, what, what does that mean? Holy, uh, I'll give you the best. This is a Colin definition, so not a Webster. This is a Colin definition, um, so probably not very good. But um, set, set apart, completely separate from the holiness of God. He's so far, he's so without sin, so without blemish, so without mark, that it's like not even in the same conversation. The fact that God is holy. Now, just as much God is love, man, God is holy. God is holy. The fact that God is holy, we said that God is love is mentioned twice in the Bible. The fact that God is holy is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. 400 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times. 400 is more than two, I've heard. God is holy. In fact, this is kind of a cool thought. If you go to Revelations four, you know the song Revelation song. I think do we I don't know if we sing Reve- we sing Revelation song here. It's an awesome song. That that ver- it's it's pretty uh, on point. It's the the name of the song Revelation song is because that chorus of that song comes directly from a verse Revelations four eight when it's talking about the four beasts, these four angels. Uh, they have six wings on each of them. They are constantly uh around god the father they are around god in heaven and they the bible says they have eyes everywhere so they can see every angle of god they're constantly around them they have six wings i feel bad for the ones with two these guys got six they're they're flying around god and for eternity you know what their message is holy 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 lord god almighty god is a holy god God is a holy God. God is love, yes. God is kind, yes. God is patient, yes. Of course, all these things. But God is also holy. God is holy. The fact is, Romans 12:1 shows us that God is not only holy, but God has called us to be holy. And as Christians, as you follow Baptist Church, whether this is your home church, whether you're here every week, whether you're visiting, whether you got a, uh, you had a, a grandkid singing, whatever it is, As a followers of Jesus, he has called us to be holy. In fact, the entire gospel message is is really simple. God created us to worship him, right? He set us apart. We were holy. We were without sin. We ruined that, didn't we? We ruined that. We took on sin. So you know why he sent Jesus? So that we could once again pursue holiness. The whole gospel message is for salvation to holiness. The only way we can get into heaven is if we are holy, sanctified. Now, of course, we are through the blood of Jesus. When God looks on us, Pastor Jake preaches on this often, and I love it so much. When, Jesus, when God looks at us, he does not see our sin. He does not see our holiness. Because if you know yourself, if you know any of your friends, if you know your loved ones, we are not a holy people. But God does not see that. God sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the forgiveness. He sees holiness only through Jesus. However, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. However, we are still called to pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. So are you pursuing holiness? That's our message, the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of holiness. When I titled that, I was not thinking of like a tongue-in-cheek, the pursuit of happiness. It just kind of worked out, but the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of holiness. For our pursuit today, we're going to look at a guy who was far from holy, like we all are, um, who, who made a lot of mistakes. Who went, uh, I, I like the Bible guys, the Bible characters who, who mess up and get back on the horse. We're going to look at a guy who did just that. We're going to look at Peter, Peter, and just a, a few this moment in Peter's life, not his entire life, but uh, just a moment in his life. Because I want you to pursue Jesus. I want you to pursue holiness. And Peter is a guy who did both of those things. So where are we at with Peter? Pe- up until our text, Peter has followed Jesus for three years. This is the end of the Gospel of Matthew. few chapters left. This is right before the, uh, the crucifixion, excuse me. Peter has followed Jesus for three years. He's given his life. He's followed Jesus wherever he goes. He's made some mistakes. He's done some good things. He's done some bad things. But whatever, he has pursued Jesus. Jesus' death is near, and Peter has promised to follow him. In a few chapters earlier than this, Peter said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Whatever you want to do, whether it's to death, whether it's to prison, I will follow you. I'll do no matter whatever you say. Um, Jesus' response to that was, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the day is over. And, uh, of course, we're about to read where he does just that. So he's... He's told Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you, want, wherever you go. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to do the things you call me to do. Jesus says, you're about to mess up. He says, okay, I'm going to prove myself to Jesus. So the guards come, right? They're in the garden. The guards come. What does Peter do? Peter's going to prove himself. He said, God, I told you I'm going to follow you wherever you go. You're wrong. I'm not going to deny you three times. He pulls out his sword. He's going to be courageous. He's going to be the man. He's going to be the guy. He goes to slice the dude's head off, misses, cuts his ear, Cuts his ear off. Jesus heals the guy. So just think of where Peter's at, right? Think of just the emotional roller this last twenty-four hours that Peter's been. He's fired up to follow Jesus. Jesus is taken away. He he's trying to. He's like using all this manpower of I'm going to do whatever I said I was going to do. I'm not going. I'm going to do it. Cuts off the ear. He gets rebuked. He's kind of just standing in the garden like, dang, like pretty wild twenty-four hours for Peter. So that's where Peter's at. He's he thinks he's following Jesus. He keeps getting rebuked by Jesus. He's kind of like, I don't really know what to do. And then we're going to pick up in verse number 65. uh, Verse number 69, excuse me. It says, now Peter sat without in the palace. Jesus had been taken away. Sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that that were there, This fellow was also the Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. After a while came unto him, they stood by and said to Peter, surely thou art the one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crew, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this text. Dear Lord, um, thank you for this day. Thank you for letting us uh, come together as a church and uh, worship you through song, worship you through giving, and uh, just the sacrifice of being here, Lord, and then you're allowing us to hear the word of God, Lord. I know this week, as I've studied and written this message, Lord, has convicted me and helped me help it to convict and uh, and help someone else here today, Lord, as we hear the word of God preached as we go out. In your name we pray, amen. In our pursuit of holiness, in Peter's pursuit of holiness. We are going to mess up, right? That's reality. You're going to sin. You're going to fall. You're going to make mistakes. That is reality. We just read a a mistake, a big mistake. The denying of Jesus, pretty big one, pretty big one. Um, Cursing, uh, the man denying Jesus. Peter has made a mistake. But the reality is, in our pursuit of holiness, we're going to make mistakes. So how do we pursue our holiness? The first thing I want to point out is the fact that Peter wept. If we are going to pursue holiness, I'm calling us to mourn our sin. Mourn our sin. Think of this for Peter. He's sworn to Jesus that he's going to follow him. And then within hours, he has done exactly what he said he would not do. He's denied Jesus. And what does the passage say? He says after the cock crows, he, realized, uh, he, he realizes that, that he has done this. It says he went out. And wept bitterly. He, he was bitterly weeping. He was mourning. He was mourning his sin. Why, why, why did Peter weep? Why did Peter weep? Uh, if you read the text, he's denied Jesus three times. He, he's made other, other mistakes before. Uh, why this weeping bitterly? I don't know if you, I, I, some of us have wept bitterly before. On this and this is not just a, a teary eye. This is not, oh, bummed out. Oh, man, I made a mistake. No, this is weeping bitterly. He was distraught. It wasn't his sin that made him weep. He didn't deny Jesus and then start crying. He didn't deny Jesus the first. He didn't deny Jesus the second time and then start crying. The third time, he was good. He was good. In fact, if you go to Luke and you look at that selection of this same story, it says, and the Lord Jesus looked down on him. This is Jesus Christ, right, in the flesh as a man, looks at Peter. They make eye contact. And then it says, and Peter wept bitterly. It, it wasn't the sin that made Peter mourn. You know what it was? It was the confrontation of a sin. It was the confrontation of a sin. Jesus confronted his sin. Jesus confronted his sin. In fact, the reason that many of us are okay with our sin, the reason we're living lives numb to sin, the reason we're living lives we can be unfaithful uh, to, the, to the Lord, we can... We can, we can Whatever your sin is, the reason we can do these things, the reason we can go to church, the reason you can sit in a Sunday service, hear a sermon preached, be totally fine, walk out the door. is not because your sin has broken you. You're, you're, you're numb to sin. Your heart has hardened. You're callous. You're, you're not, it does not break you. But nothing is confronting your sin. Nothing's confronting your sin. You know, some of the best days of my life was when I was confronted with my sin. Now, it wasn't a good day then. It wasn't a good day then. It was a pretty bad day then. But when I look back, I needed confrontation. We need confrontation. Now, this is not a fun thing, right? We don't like, I'm a very anti-confrontational person. I don't like being corrected. I don't like being talked to sternly. When I was young, when I say young, I was like 16. If you were like, spoke to me like sternly, I would just, like, start crying. Just cause, I don't know. I'm, uh, maybe I'm just, I don't like confrontation. I don't, if, like, if I was at work and I, like, got in trouble at work, dude, I'd shed a little tear. I don't know why. I hated it. I was, like, embarrassed by it. I'm just being real. I'm just being real, okay? I would, I just hate, I hate, I hate confrontation. However, if we're going to pursue holiness, we need confrontation. We need confrontation. We need it in three ways. The first is the word of God. Allow the preaching of the word of God to confront you in your sin. Hebrews 4.12 says, says this, and Philip's going to put it on the screen. Uh, Philip's going to put it on, for The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Holy Spirit, I mean the, the Bible and the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God to confront your sin. To confront your sin. In fact, you can read the Word of God be convicted, repent, and turn to Christ. The pursuit of holiness, this is not a one-day thing. This is not a one-day decision. This is an everyday decision to when you read the Bible, when you hear the word of God, when you're in the Bible, allow the truth of God's word to confront you where you are wrong. Because the reality is you are wrong often. Can we be real with ourselves? Can we put our pride away? We make mistakes. Our, not just, oh, messed up, I know what's wrong. No, sometimes our thoughts are wrong. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we're right when the word of God says, no, 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 you're wrong. You know why people love the fact that God is love and kind of ignore the fact that he's holy? Because we don't like being wrong. We want to be comfortable in our sin. But God has given us his word for many, many reasons. But one of them is to confront our sin so that we can pursue Jesus and pursue holiness. So you have to be in the word for it to, for it to confront you. But allow the word of God to confront you. Secondly, allow the preaching of the word of God to confront you. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this. Preach the word. This is speaking to preachers, to pastors. It says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine... God has called your pastors, God has called the preaching of his word to do those three things, to reprove or correct, to rebuke or to criticize, and to exhort or to encourage. And the fact of the matter is, we love when preachers preach encouraging messages, we love when preachers Hype us up, we love preachers, tell us they love us. But when they rebuke, when they correct, I'm not talking about face, face, from the pulpit, from the word of God. When they call us out on our sin, when they call it, when they confront us with the reality of God's holiness. When they call us on the fact that we are missing the mark, we don't like that. Unfortunately, most of our relationships are so fragile that no confrontation is okay. You know why your spouse doesn't ever confront you when you're wrong? Or not anymore, maybe they used to. You know why your brothers and sisters, you know why your parents, you know why your pastors, you know why? Because they're so scared that you're going to cut them off, break them, damage your relationship that they won't ever confront you. You're fragile. You're fragile. If you are not OK with confrontati- with a conf- conf- I don't know the, the vocabulary for this, if you're not okay with being confronted with sin, it's a fragile faith. It's a fragile faith. In fact, the Christian life is sanctification. You guys, we love talking about sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Hey, sanctification is a process. You know, it takes time. It takes years, weeks, months. Yeah, it takes weeks, months, years of being corrected. Being corrected. So be corrected. Allow the word of God to correct you. When the preacher is preaching, when the word of God is being preached, not a man's opinion, not a man's feelings. No, when the word of God is being preached and taught, allow that to affect change in your heart. Go into services wanting to fix yourself allowing god to fix you don't go into service saying man another sunday gonna get encouraged gonna gonna hear something go into church one to get a little discouraged a little a little leave a little upset leave a little angry leave a little man i didn't like that you know what that is it's a confronting of your failure confronting of your sin we all love to say we make mistakes we all love to say we say well, of course yeah we're not perfect of course yeah of course. We are okay. We shouldn't be okay with not, with not being perfect in the sense of turn it to pursuit. Allow your mourning to become action. Peter wept bitterly. Allow the word of God. Allow the preaching of the Lord, word of God. Let her see, third point, allow your brothers and sisters who love you, brothers and sisters in Christ, the, the family of God, to confront you in your sin. Ooh, we don't like that one. Matthew, four, Matthew 7. Let's pull it up. Matthew 7. This is Jesus preaching the, beatitude, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, Or thou wilt, or, oh, wow, King James. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine own eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Right? It says, How dare you pull out the beam of, of your brother's eye when you have a beam in your eye? Thou hypocrite is the next word. And we like to stop there. How dare you pull out the beam in my eye? You've got sin too. Right? We all have sin. So if I go to Coleman and say, or Coleman comes to me and he says, hey, man, this isn't right. I say, hey, bro, are you perfect? He says, no, of course not. We think the conversation ends there. Keep reading. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mode of thy brother's eye. We're not just called to ignore our brothers and sisters. I've got sin, they've got sin, we're existing. No, no, no. We're called to deal with our sin so that we can deal with their sin. Not in a judgment, not in a betrayal, not in a put down, not in a hate, but in a love of, hey, I got to get this right. I need to pursue Jesus. I need to pursue holiness so I can bring my brothers and sisters, my, my family, but people I love alongside with me and say, hey, man, that's not Right. I know I'm not perfect. I'm working on it with Jesus. But what you're doing is clearly not right. And what happens is, once again, our relationships are so, so fragile, so delicate. We're so scared to confront anything that this never happens. That this never happens. You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. I don't go to that church. They're hypocrites. I don't do this. They're hypocrites. I don't do this. Yeah, they are hypocrites. Remove the beam out of thine own eye. See clearly to get the beam out of of your friend's eye, your brother's eye, your sister's eye, your wife's eye, your husband's eye. Remove it from yourself, but don't forget about them. It's like, it's like on, the, uh, on the airplane when the masks come down. They always say what? Put one on yourself first. What if you just put one on yourself and we're like, look at your baby. <laughs> nope. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. That's not love. That's not love. No, you put one on yourself, but then you put the mask on them. That's love. Mourn your sin. Allow your failures to turn you to action. Allow the confrontation to break you. Soften your heart. Maybe you're sitting here and preaching just does nothing for you. The word of God does nothing for you. You're just going through the motions. Beg God to soften your heart. Your heart is hard. Your heart is calloused. Sin does not bother you. Being unfaithful to Jesus does not bother you. None of these things bother you. Beg God to make it bother you. I worry, worry, worry. I was listening to a podcast this weekend. Someone wrote in and they said, I am, I've been living in sin for three or four months, and I'm, just, I'm miserable. I, I, I feel so broken about it. And the guy who was answering the question said, thank God you are miserable. Because that's a soft heart who's turning back to Jesus. If you are callous, beg God to soften your heart. Beg God. I'm, t- I'm not saying, like, God, soften it. No, I'm talking about get on your knees and beg God to soften your heart. So mourn your sin. In the pursuit of holiness, we are called to mourn our sin. Once we realize we are far from holy, and it doesn't take long, we should allow the reality of our situation to move us to action. So where's Peter at? Luke, uh, Phil, go ahead and pull up Luke 24, 10 through 12. Where's Peter at? He's denied Jesus. He's weeped bitterly. He's weeped bitterly, okay? Then three days pass. Just think of, this, think of these days for Peter. Think of these days for Peter. He's denied Jesus. Jesus has died. There's no mention of Peter until, until this point where after Jesus rises. So for three days and three nights, I think those were probably, I don't want to say probably, those were the worst three nights and three days of Peter's existence. Those were three. I don't think Peter was eating. I don't think he was sleeping much. I think he was living in mourning for his failure. He, it didn't say Jesus looked down on him. He wept bitterly. Jesus came back. He was up on the cross. He's like, Jesus, are we good? Like, do you, like, no, no, no. He left, went out, weeping. Jesus dies on the cross and is buried. Crucifixion happens. Peter, for three days, three nights, done, done. Mourning. That's what I, mourning. It, it, it's one of I mean, I know some of us have experiences where you get news, you find out something, and it's like you're not eating, you're not sleeping, you're just living in mourning. Peter's living in mourning. But thank God. We don't stay in mourning. We don't stay in guilt. We, don't, we have no guilt in life, right? God, Jesus has saved us. He's forgiven us. Our sin should bother us. Our sin should make us more. Our sin should break us, yes. But the forgiveness is still there. So what does Peter do? Jesus rises, right, the third day. It's funny because in this study, Jesus told them like two chapters before this, like, hey, I'm going to rise again on the third day. You'd think they would be like... At the grave, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it. So Peter's at, the, the, the ladies are at the grave. It was Mary, Madeline, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and other women that were with them, which told these things. So they went, they see Jesus, they meet Jesus. It was such a cool story uh, of them in the garden. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Uh, next verse. Then arose Peter. So for three days and three nights, Peter has been mourning his failure, I believe. Mourning his, fe- I don't think that was a day long. Oh, sad. No, that was three days of mourning. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. Ran. Sooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering if himself at, thy- at that which was come to pass. As soon as Peter had an opportunity to get back to Jesus, he ran back to Jesus. So yes, mourn your sin. Yes, when you're far from God, yes, be in that, sit in that, let that resonate with you, let that break you, soften your heart. But as soon as you get the opportunity, run back to Jesus. Run, not walk, it wasn't a pace. Now, John did beat him in the race if you read the other gospels. But Peter ran nonetheless. He ran. And the beautiful story for us, we don't have to wait three days and three nights. We have opportunity to run to Jesus right now. Run to Jesus right now. So what does that mean to to, to run to Jesus? What what does that uh, actually look like um, to run to Jesus? Well, Galatians 5.16, I think I'm just going to use this passage every sermon I preach for the rest of time. Galatians 5.16 tells us exactly what it looks like to run to Jesus. To run to Jesus simply means to pursue Jesus. This whole message is a pursuit of Jesus, a pursuit of holiness. If we are to pursue Jesus, we are to pursue holiness, what does holiness look like? Holiness looks like being set apart, stopping ourselves, removing sin from our lives, and pursuing Jesus. Bearing, guess what, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says... um, Walk ye in the Spirit, and ye will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ye will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you want to be holy, we are to turn from the lust of the flesh. The only way that we have the power to turn from the lust of the flesh is to walk in the Spirit of God. That's the only way. This is a promise of God. If you read the rest of this passage, we're not going to get all the way into it. If you read this passage, there's two promises in this passage. Number one is if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fill the lust of the flesh. So you will turn turn from sin. When you spend time with Jesus on a daily, weekly, monthly, year routine, year after year, you will turn from sin more and more and more. You will stop filling the lust of the flesh. That's the first promise. Not fill the lust of the flesh. Secondly, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. You will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Another promise of God. But you have to do your part and walk in the spirit. So we say run to Jesus. You know what running to Jesus looks like? Well, if you've got sin, if you've got something, mourn it. Repent from it. Turn from it. And then walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. How do we walk in the spirit? We hear from God. How do we hear from God? Through the reading of his word, through the preaching of the Bible, through the reading of the Bible. We hear from God Then we speak to God. We, and through prayer. We hear from God. We speak to God. We are walking in the spirit. Are you walking in the Spirit? Now, it's easy to fail. It's easy to mess up walking the Spirit. It's easy to have days go by where you're not walking the Spirit. But you know what you keep doing? Keep running back. Keep walking the Spirit. I have a, a six-month-old. I think she's, yeah, six months old. Six months old. She is, I think she's going to, I don't know this. I, I think she's the best, best baby, obviously. But I think she's going to skip crawling. She's not a fan of crawling. Like, as soon as she gets on her belly or, like, her little arms, She's, she's a little big, she's a little big, so she kind of, she, she can't really support herself, so she kind of falls, whines, cries. She really likes to pull up on furniture, though. She's just kind of skipped the crawling, she just wants to pull up. So she has a little bassinet thing, a little like crib situation. She pulls up on it, as soon as you sit her down, she pulls up on it, as soon as you sit her down, pulls up on it. Now the reality of a baby learning this is that sometimes they fall down, Right. There's a little bit of padding on this thing, but it's a little plastic, you know what I'm saying? So she pulls up, and sometimes she, she doesn't really move her legs yet, so she'll be kind of, it's a little slow-mo, it's very cute. But then she just eats it on that plastic bar. Sometimes, it really doesn't even hurt her. Some, she only cries like one every five times, I would say. That's my statistic. Um, but most of the time it's just kind of like, what happened? What if the first time she did that, I just took her out of the thing, put her in her car seat, and was like, never again. Never again are you trying to learn how to walk. That'd be kind of silly, right? In fact, if if I let that go on and I just maybe if if maybe she was a year and she still wasn't walking, I'd be like, ah, you know, but she's behind. She's okay though. We'll catch up. Uh, maybe you know, eighteen months, she's still not walking. It it'd be bad. But the reality is, babies don't walk. That's what makes them babies, right? The, the fact that, the, I mean, there's lots of things that make them babies, I guess. But one of the things is that they don't walk. But here's the thing. If that baby was four, five, six years old. Still not walking. Ugh. We got to get, get some therapy. We got we to do something, right? There needs to be a, a major. We got to go to the doctor. Hey, we're, we're really struggling to walk here. Now, it was okay when she was six, I mean, six months. Come on. Of course, she's not walking. Of course, you're not walking when you're six months. Of course, you're not it's nine months. Okay, let's, let's maybe maybe a, uh, 12 months, six months, three, four, five. If we're 20 years, 20 years, we're still not walking. Some of you guys are sitting in here for 30 years, you're still not walking, and that's sad. It'd be one thing if you were sitting, sa- would be one thing if you just got saved, man, you're dealing with you're trying to get away from sin, you're trying to, man, you're battling, you just want to know what it is to know Jesus, you know nothing, you're out in the I get it babies aren't supposed to walk you're supposed to you're not a baby you're not a baby walk in the spirit run to Jesus mourn your sin yes mourn your sin but run to Jesus thirdly and we moved thirdly and we move we realize we're not holy we realize our our, the reality of our sin we realize the mourning that should take place we've ran to Jesus now what now what do we do Well, now we do the will of the Father. Acts 2, verse 14. Let's let's look back at Peter. I like looking at Peter like as a real person. Because guess what? He was a real person. So imagine just the emotions. For four days, he promises he's going to follow Jesus. uh, Cuts a dude's ear off. Gets rebuked by Jesus twice. Denies Jesus. Looks at Jesus. Weeps, mourns. For three days, mourns. Finally gets to see Jesus. Things are back. We're back. We've rose from the dead. Let's go do some more ministry. Well... Soon after that, what happens? Jesus ascends to heaven. Peter's here again. Once again, without Jesus. Acts 2 happens, 14. The disciples are all come together. They are going to start the church as we know it. Um, This is what happens. But Peter, standing up with the 11. So there's 11 there. But Peter's the one that stood up. Let's just uh, with them. But Peter's the one who preached. So God could have used everyone. God could have used anyone. There's no other stories of anyone denying Jesus. There's no other stories of disciples failing at the crucifixion. Only Peter, fifty days later, Peter standing up at the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. And for the next sixteen or so ju- verses, Peter preaches the greatest sermon ever preached. Pentecost where thousands and thousands are added from the, to the church starting the local church as we know it. This comes 50 days after Peter denies Jesus. 50 days. Only 50 days. Peter denies Jesus, curses at the people asking him, weeps bitterly. He mourns his sin. He mourns his failure. He mourns his mistake. But when he gets the opportunity, he runs to Jesus and then he gets the opportunity to preach the word of God. If you study this sermon, if you, it's, it's, not even, it, it's not very long. You guys would love it. It's only like 14 or 15 verses. If you study, it really is simply the story of Jesus. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. If, look, read it. Read the, read the Sermon of Pentecost. It's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He throws David in a little bit for, for the Jews, but it's, it's, it's Jesus. In fact, all that Peter's really preaching is what Peter just witnessed. All that Peter's really preaching is what Jesus did in his heart. And you know what? He gets up and he gets to preach to these men, these thousands and thousands of people, what Jesus did for him and what Jesus can do for, him, for them. God called Peter to preach the story of Jesus. You know what God's called us to do? Preach the story of Jesus. So, are we preaching the story of Jesus? Are we pursuing God? Are we pursuing holiness? I think he's called us to do many things, but the reason we're not doing most of them is because we're missing the fact that God has called us to be separate, to be set apart, to be holy. Maybe we've accepted that we're not holy. Maybe we're okay with our sin. Maybe our sin doesn't break us. Maybe our sin doesn't cause us to mourn. Maybe our sin is just part of our life. We've kind of, we've been freed from it. Yes, of course, Romans 8, we've, we know these things. But when we, it, it doesn't bother us. It doesn't break us. There's no There's no mourning. There's no breaking and we're okay with it. Maybe we aren't okay with our sin, but instead of running to Jesus, instead of walking in the spirit, we're choosing to wallow in our own self-pity. Maybe we just started mourning and we're just still mourning. I've met people who, they're so frustrated with their sin. If you go to YouTube and like the most viewed videos that like ask uh, ask, ask pastors, the most viewed videos are, why do I keep sinning? Why am I such a failure? Why does this keep happening? The Christian with these videos, that they ask the pastor these things because people are just constantly stuck in their sin. They're constantly mourning their sin. Instead of mourning their sin, running to Jesus, walking in the Spirit. And then once we've done those things, we can do what he's ultimately called us to do and preach Jesus. But those other two have to come first. Mourn your sin. Run to Jesus. Then preach Jesus. This is not a once-in-a-lifetime decision. In fact, this is an everyday decision. Because you know what we do every single day? We mess up. But you know what we can do every single day? We can mourn that mistake. Uh! And then we can turn to Jesus, run back, walk in the Spirit, and then we can preach Him. That's my call to you. Pursue holiness. Pursue Jesus. Pursue holiness. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Will stand. Matt's gonna sing. If you've if you've got business to do, maybe you need to mourn a sin. Maybe your sin has been your struggle, and you you're okay with it. It doesn't break you. Maybe you need to beg God to soften your heart. I don't know what it is. I don't know your life. I know mine. I know what I need to do. I'm gonna encourage you to, to make do something about what the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to confront you where you stand and change your heart. Matt, you sing.